of year, isn't it? It's a bit late to say Happy Christmas, a bit too early to say Happy New Year, kind of in this in-between time when no one knows what day of the week it is or when the bins go out. And actually that kind of suits the time of year because it's the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. And it's a time for reflecting back on the past year, looking ahead to the next year. And in fact, this time, not only are we changing years, but we're changing decades. So we're reflecting back on the past decade and looking forward to the next decade. Wow. Uh, I wonder what your highlights have been. Um, I got married this decade. That's obviously a highlight. Um, Shortly after we got married, uh, we moved up to Newcastle. And I ran the Great North Run, which uh, was an achievement, probably my achievement of the decade, maybe. Um, I tell you what, keeping going is difficult. And uh, when I was doing that run, I had to keep going. Sometimes I'd be thinking, oh, look how far I've come. Ten miles already under my belt, only three to go. Sometimes I'd be looking forward to be motivated. Oh, oh, counting down the steps, counting how far to go. But the flip side of that is sometimes looking backwards and looking forwards can be depressing because I look back and think, I've already come 10 miles and that was painful. Am I going to have calf burn for the next three miles? I wonder what you find more motivating, looking back or looking forwards? I wonder when you look back at your past decade and forwards at your next decade, what motivates you? What makes you think you're going to keep going, keep going as a Christian? Keep going, doing God's work in the world. Well, the people who received this prophecy from Haggai, they were looking back and they were looking forwards. And actually, whichever direction they looked, they felt the weight of life. Whichever way they looked, they saw reasons to not keep going. You see... These people had had a difficult few years. In fact, they'd have a difficult 70 years. To get a bit of the backstory for this prophecy, um, turn in your Bibles to Ezra. So Ezra is the, uh, the narrative that goes alongside this prophecy, and it gives us a bit of, of what's been going on. These people had been invaded The Babylonians, the world superpower, had invaded the nation of Israel. They had attacked Jerusalem and they had left the temple in ruins. They were citizens were taken off into Babylon as prisoners of war, exiled from their homeland. And the years went on, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years. And over time, the powers shifted. The Babylonian rulers gave way to Persian rulers. And along came King Cyrus the Great, as he liked to call himself. And he was a bit kinder to his prisoners. And he let them return to their homeland. So 70 years after all this devastation, a group of 50,000 Jews returned to the rubble of their homeland to the ruin of the lives that they used to have, to the fragments of what once was. And not long after they get there, they begin rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. 
Because the temple was not just a building. The temple, temple was significant. The temple was the place on earth that God had chosen to live. This was the sign that God was with them. The sign that God was for them. It was the heart of their worship. The heart of their community. And as long as the temple lay in ruins, God's reputation lay in ruins. So as soon as the Israelites get back to their homeland, they begin rebuilding the temple. But it doesn't go too well. This is what Ezra says about the temple when it's rebuilt. Ezra chapter 3, verse 11. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they praised with praise and thanksgiving. They sang to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But... Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. Some people see the the foundation of this temple being built and think, yes, finally we've returned to our homeland. Finally, God's work in this world is being done again. His reputation is being restored. Things are looking bright. But actually, that was the younger people who hadn't been there, hadn't seen the first temple. And the older folks who had seen that first temple who knew its splendour and its glory and its majesty that talked about the majesty of God... They wept because this was not as good as it used to be. This was not what God deserved. And the sound of sobs of pain and shouts of praise mix in the air. The crowd is full of wet faces, some with tears of joy, some with tears of grief. When they look at their past... They think it's not as good as it used to be. And actually, after that, things got worse. So if you look down to chapter 4, verse 4, then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counsellors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The people around opposed the rebuilding of the temple and deliberately set out to frustrate it. And then if you look down to the last verse of the chapter, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The opposition to this work grinds it to a halt. The future doesn't look great either. It doesn't look like God's work is going anywhere. And they're stuck in the present The past, it's nothing like it used to be. The future, it's not going anywhere. And they have lost every reason to keep going 
rebuilding the temple, building God's kingdom, doing God's work in the world. And actually, we can resonate with that sometimes. Maybe, like them, they look back and thought, oh, this new temple isn't the size of the old one. Or it doesn't have the, the grandeur or, or the Ark of the Covenant in which God showed his presence just wasn't in this second temple. And it seems like God's involvement is no longer the same as it used to be. Or maybe the significance. How can this temple that lies in ruin, how can that speak of a great God who rules over everyone? And maybe we can look around and think, Loughborough, a town of 60,000 people, yet just a few percent even come to a church. Maybe we think God's involvement, we know he's involved, but maybe we used to sense that a passion in our prayer meetings or a, a fervency in our own devotional lives or, or just, just people being at our meetings that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And what does that do to God's reputation when his church seems to be in rubble and ruins? Or maybe, like the Israelites face, there's opposition. Um, I was having a, a conversation very recently with someone. I mentioned church, and in that moment, they changed the topic. Or maybe you've had people laugh at the very thought that you could believe in an ancient book of fairy tales or some man in the sky. Sometimes there's active opposition to what we believe. Or maybe you sense that progress is slow. Or maybe even progress has stopped or seems to be going backwards. Maybe there's people in your life who you long to share the Lord with. And you take the opportunities that you can, you speak to them when you can. But as the months and the years go on, it doesn't seem like anything's changing. How can we keep going? How can we keep building God's kingdom? Keep doing God's work? Well, that is exactly the situation that God speaks into through Haggai. So look what he says in chapter 2, verse 3. God speaking to the people. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? God knows their situation. If your heart aches for the things around you, if your heart is heavy with trying to do God's work in this world, God knows And he does more than know. He speaks. And this is what he says. Verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel. That's the uh, political leader. Uh, Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat. That's the the high priest, the leader of the uh, religion. Uh, Be strong, all you people. God's message is be strong. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 4, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the law, and work. And then again at the end of verse 5, do not fear. God knows the situation and he says, even though it looks like you've got every reason to stop, keep going. Even though it looks like it's not as good as it used to be, keep going. 
Even though it looks like you're going nowhere, keep going, keep building my kingdom, keep doing my work. Now, sometimes instructions are helpful and sometimes they're not. Now, I had to have some fillings for the first time uh, a little while ago and I was not keen on that. And people, you know, just being friendly, would do that thing and they say, oh, don't worry, which wasn't very helpful because I was worried. And people telling me not to worry didn't really help. But God doesn't just say, don't worry, don't be afraid. He he gives a reason. God says, keep going, keep doing my work, keep building my kingdom, because... And then he gives them two reasons. So let's look at those. First reason. Verse 4. Verse 5. Note verse 4. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. First God says, keep going because I am with you. We can keep going, doing God's work, building God's kingdom because God is with us. And he reminds them of the covenant he made with them when he came out of Egypt. So when God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt and to himself. And he formed a covenant with them, a partnership, a relationship. And he said to them, you will be my people and I will be your God. Like a a king being crowned over his citizens. Like a, a groom marrying his bride. He said he made the Israelites his. You are my people and I am your God. And why did he do that? Well, he tells us because he wanted to be with his people. And like a good king who lives in the country he's ruling over or a good groom who lives in the house with his bride, God lives with his people. So he says to them, you're all camping, build me a tent so I can live with you. And then when the people get into the land of Israel and they build houses, the, te- the, the tent, the tabernacle, is upgraded into a temple because God wants to be with his people. God is with us. He wants to be with us. He has promised to be with us. And they might be looking around saying, well, things are different now. Three million of us came out of Egypt, and now there's 250,000 left. When they first came into the Promised Land, they lived across everywhere, and now they're just confined to a small area around Jerusalem. Their situation has changed, but God has not. doesn't matter what situation you're in. doesn't matter how good things used to be and how different things are now. God has not changed. But you can understand their confusion because the temple that showed that God was with them 
that God was for them had been knocked down. And actually, we find out in the rest of the Bible that that was because of their rebellion. They had rejected God. They had not listened to him. And so God had removed his hand of protection and the Babylonian army had come straight in. And now the question was, well, has God rejected us forever? And God says, no, because I promised. I made a covenant with you. And you know, as Christians... God has made a covenant with us. A new covenant. Not like the covenant he made with the Israelites through Moses. But he's made a covenant through his son Jesus with us. Not a covenant that involves the sacrifice of animals. But a covenant that involves the sacrifice of his only son Jesus. Not a covenant where there's a few select people who get limited access to God but a covenant where all of us get full access to the Father through the Son. Not a covenant where his laws were written on stone tablets, but a covenant where his laws are written on our hearts. Not a covenant where his spirit's just among us, but a covenant where his spirit lives in us. And so God says to you, I am with you. So, When we're looking to build God's kingdom in Loughborough, to do his work in Loughborough, and we look around and see thousands of people who don't know him, God is with us. It's not a small percentage and the majority. We are the majority because God is with us. If you're looking to build God's kingdom in your workplace, and you're going in and trying to act in a way that reflects who God is with honesty and integrity, fighting against those around you who are in it for their own selfish ends, or in it to make money at the cost of uh, stepping on other people. God says, I am with you. You might feel alone, but you are not alone. You might feel like their forces around you are far bigger than you, But God is even bigger than them. God is with you. And he promises to be with us. 1 Corinthians says all of God's promises find their yes in Christ Jesus. So whatever we need, well, Romans 8. If God gave up his son for us all, how can he not, along with him, graciously Give us all things. God has already proved his faithfulness to his promises by sending his son. Of course God will give us what we need. So if you're trying to build God's kingdom in your personal life, maybe there's a a habit that you're trying to change, a habit that everyone knows about or a habit that no one knows about. And you're longing to see change, but it's not happening. Well, God is with you. And he has promised the good work that is started in you will be brought to completion. Philippians 1. Or maybe you're trying to to build God's kingdom through a ministry. Maybe it's children's work, working at discoverers, and sometimes they just suck the energy out of you because that's what kids are like. Or maybe it's uh, serving, building God's kingdom through senior moments, and they suck the energy out of you because that's what seniors can be like. 
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12. God is with you. God has promised to be with you. And he's done that because he wants to be with you. He's not reluctant. He's delighted. So when you're trying to build God's kingdom by speaking to a a struggling Christian, maybe someone who used to be involved, used to come to church, but has started drifting away, and it aches your heart because you never know quite when, when it's time to speak and when it's time to be silent quite exactly how you speak the words that they need to hear. Well, God is with you. And God's heart aches too. Or if you're trying to build a friendship with someone who's not a Christian, because you want to share this beautiful, exciting, life-changing news about Jesus with them. Maybe it's a long time since you've seen someone being a Christian. Maybe it's painful when people laugh at you or just ignore you when you're trying to share. Well, God is with you. He delights to be with you. So, reason number one, keep going because God is with you. Second reason. Let's look at verse nine. Verse 6. Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Keep going. Keep building God's kingdom. Keep doing God's work because God is at work. It might be nothing like it used to be, but the Lord Almighty says it's nothing like it's going to be. He's going to shake things up. Did you notice that all the way through this passage, he's referred to as the Lord Almighty. All the power belongs to him. He can shake the unshakable. The things that seem so permanent and set, the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. God can shake them with just a flick of his wrist. He is the Lord Almighty. He can flatten the power structures of the world with a breath. He can split open the political landscape with a nod. Our God is the Lord Almighty. He arranges leaders on the world stage like you arrange ornaments on your shelf. It's your shelf. It's his world. The Lord is going to shake things up. And what else is he going to do? Verse 7. I will fill this house with glory, 
says the Lord Almighty. The silver's mine, the gold is mine. With the temple lying in ruins, just dirty bricks, God's reputation is in ruins. But God says, I take responsibility for redeeming my reputation. And God says, this house which is currently ruins will be filled with silver and gold from the world because the world will recognize who I am. And that is what starts to happen with this temple. So it takes about four years for this temple to be built. And do you know how it's paid for? Well, King Darius, who's the Persian leader of the time, increases the taxes of the countries around Israel. The same countries that have been trying to frustrate the plans. And he says, your taxes are going to pay for that rebuilding. The wealth of the nation starts to flow in to fund the building of God's kingdom. And in fact, a few centuries later, Herod the Great, the Roman, he upgrades the temple even more. And the wealth of Rome comes into the temple and fills it. And the, the disciples who you know, are, are country boys, and they come into the Jerusalem city, and they look and they go, wow, teacher, have you seen how great this temple are, is? How big the stones are, how grand it is? The temple is filled with the wealth of the nations. But Jesus says about that temple, you think it's grand? I tell you not, one stone will be left on top of the other. And that's exactly what happens. In AD 70, the Romans come and destroy it. So this prophecy that Haggai shares starts to come true with the temple, but not fully. Because actually, this prophecy is not just about the old temple. It's about a new temple. Jesus says, I will build my church. The place on earth that God has chosen to live is no longer a building, but it's a people. It's no longer a temple, it's the church. It's not bricks and mortar in the Middle East. It's flesh and blood in the East Midlands. It's us. God has chosen to live in us by his spirit. And the wealth of the nations come into the church. We've got people from England. That's a little island off the coast of Europe that most of the people in Jesus' time hadn't heard of. We've got people from Wales, people from Romania, people from Switzerland, people from countries you and I haven't heard of. Because through Jesus and the gospel that spreads across the world, the wealth of the nations, the people of the nations, come in. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Talking about uh, the Gentiles, people who aren't part of Israel. So talking about most of us. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And him, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So when you look back and think things aren't like they used to be, or look forward and think things don't seem to be going anywhere, keep going. Keep building God's kingdom because God is at work. Because God promised to fill his house with the treasures of the nations. And that is exactly what he's doing now. He is filling his church with people from all nations. God is at work. So when we look around at Loughborough and at the quarter of people who say that they have no religion... And we feel small and think, how can we make an impact? Remember, God is at work. We're not doing this by ourselves with clever schemes and uh, and sneaky conversations. We're doing this with a God who changes lives. When you go into the workplace, you are not on your own. And it is not a hostile territory. Because this is God's world and God is at work. He is in the office. He's in the meeting room. He's in the front room when you're having that difficult conversation. He's in every place that you go. This is God's world and God is at work. And it's God's work. Which means we're joining in with him. He's not joining in with us, we're joining in with him. But that means that we don't need to worry about our weakness and our smallness. Because this is his work and he's at work. So if you're working in a ministry, building God's kingdom, doing God's work, and you're lacking the energy and thinking this is hard. Well, when you serve those people, when you love those people, when you're patient with those people, God's love. God's patience, God's service comes through you. Maybe you're trying to build God's kingdoms with those friends who are struggling and not knowing when to speak and when to be silent and how to do that. It's not just you trying to convince a friend. God is at work. And you have no idea how he chooses to use the things that you say or the actions that you do. You're not on your own. God is at work. Or maybe it's a long time since you've seen someone become a Christian and you think, what will ever happen? That person you've tried to witness to over years and you think, how can I change anything? But it's not us by ourselves. God is at work and God, who spoke this universe into existence, who speaks and transforms hearts, can be at work through us so that your words can be used by him as his work to transform lives. So, as you look back over the year and the decade and you look forward to the next year or decade, the places that you're tempted to think it's not as good as it used to be or it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, you don't need to give up. You don't need to stop. Keep going. 
keep building God's kingdom. Whatever that means for you. Whatever God has called you to do, keep going. Because God is with you. And God is at work.